So, um, Marjorie, um, as therapists, we see people coming usually because they have a presenting problem, something that troubles them. And, yes. um, you know, um, we don't necessarily have to solve problems, but see these problems as some kind of an entry point into yes. a process. Yes. So that's kind of what we agreed to explore in this conversation, this approach. Yes, and, you know, I've learned that you said that you were interested in uh, somatic approaches to psychotherapy. A lot of my approach to psychotherapy is actually informed by my own practice of various kinds of body work because in a similar way that pain in the body leads us exactly where we need to look in the body and how to experience the body in order to shift things which are problematic in our bodily expressions in the world. I find that psychological problems are can be looked at uh, in a similar way, that the pain that we experience psychologically, I, I view as having a kind of a wisdom that uh, leads us to look where we need to look in order to deepen our experience of ourselves and also uh, in order to find the solutions or the points of breakthrough in working with uh, personal difficulties. Yeah, yeah. So, so to be guided by the pain as showing us where we need to pay attention. Exactly, and actually, that sh- that framework shifts the the uh, relationship to the problem just in of itself because as soon as we uh, approach a problem from the point of view that it has something useful to teach us and a useful point, something about it which is helpful, we shift the amount of resistance or aversion that we have to it, and that's useful in of itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so, so, so that's actually the spirit of this approach, and that's, yeah. that's that sense of deep inquiry. Yes, exactly. Deep inquiry, deepening our experience of ourselves yeah. and our and our world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, do you want to talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, how this approach, you know, how how it takes place, what you, the spirit of it, how you do it. Well, first of all, I uh, when people ask me to describe what my book is about and my approach I call Inquiring Deeply, but I always start out by saying what Inquiring Deeply is not. So I say it's not, it's not a new kind of psychotherapy. It's not a new brand of psychotherapy. It's not something that uh, a therapist guides a patient in, like uh, an induction of any kind although that can be involved at times, but it's really a framework. It's my framework for psychotherapy, which is that psychotherapy is a, basically an, uh, an introspective inquiry that we do in dialogue with another person. And there are things that we can get from dialoguing with another person that we will never get, in my view, uh, sitting on a cushion, uh, even for a Many hours, which I have done in my in my own life, in in form of a vasana meditation. So uh, I view inquiring deeply as a kind of a dialogic inquiry, and as a dialogic inquiry, it is optimum, I think, 
to be in a contemplative state, uh, I think this may be similar to what you call the relational implicit. Mm-hmm. But uh, to, um, to, to develop a quality of connectedness in our dialogue together, which uh, deepens itself in um, just the spirit of, of connection that we can generate. But to interrupt you for a moment, just to slow down, because um, in a way we might take it for granted um, what you're saying, but that it's developed, what you're saying is this is an approach that is developed out of the circumstances of you having experiences in two sets of worlds, or two, you know, one is as a therapist and the other is as a meditator. And uh, you, as a meditator, you think of inquiry as something that you do on the meditation cushion. And having an experience both as a meditator and as a therapist uh, leads you to see some things that therapy can provide that the experience of meditating can't, but also something that meditating provides in the sense of that attitude that therapy does not necessarily have. Exactly. And so you're you're weaving both experiences together. Yeah. And where they come together is in the quality of connection. So uh, I think of all of the qualities that I feel that I've personally developed as a meditator that I bring into the consulting room, um, the way I talk about it is as the degree of presence that can be generated when two people come together, which can be experienced as a uh, deepening of the intimacy between us. It can be experienced as uh, the quality of the silence that we can share and a, a deepening in the, um, the depth of um, shared being. Um, that we bring into the conversation that we have. So it has to do with um, listening deeply, which is, I think, the therapeutic art. But it also has to do with um, listening, uh, the ability to listen uh, just in the moment um, with very little preconception in the sense that the psychoanalyst uh, Beyond talked about, the um, the quality of reverie, um, or just uh, quiet presence, without mm-hmm, preconception, mm-hmm. that we can bring in looking at anything, in, in looking at a problem that a patient brings, or in looking at the way we are experiencing one another. Mm-hmm. As you know, I'm trained as a psychoanalyst, and um, the particular corner of the psychoanalytic world that I have always felt most comfortable with is relational. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm relational by nature and introspective by nature. So I really think, you know, this is all in one way uh, the forms that I have used for deepening my own, my own experience and the quality of my connection. Right, right. So, so, so therapy is a kind of a meditation for me. I feel like I meditate mm-hmm. uh, pretty much all day long with people. Mm-hmm. 
But so, so one of the dimensions of what you're saying is that you cannot help but being yourself and that you have chosen ways to deepen those qualities that are very important to you. So yeah. that as a psychotherapist, uh, you find yourself having an experience of meditating in the process of doing it, um, yes. or uh, finding a similarity with a contemplative attitude and the reverie that... Exactly so. Yeah. Exactly so. And I also, uh, to uh, just to uh, pre-associate to something that you said, I cannot help but be myself, mm-hmm. but I, I firmly believe that really all, I think Carl Rogers was the first one to say this, that really what ultimately what we have to give to another person is who we are, and it's only to the extent that we can be authentically ourselves that we um, are able to help other people to have the freedom to authentically to be themselves, and that's my ultimate goal as a therapist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, so in a way, in this conversation, as, you know, you had the disclaimer at the beginning, hey, this is not, you know, uh, a school of thought, this is not a technique, um, and it's coming back to the sense of, you know, um, my way of being myself and what I can really bring to the therapeutic relationship is that quality of presence uh, that is coming from my interest in being introspective, relational, uh, meditative, and that's what I bring, and so that's how I am alive in the therapeutic relationship. Exactly so. Mm -hmm. There, that's a nice, I love that description. Yeah. 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 So... There's a background noise here. And so we're just good. Mm-hmm. Good. So, so um, um, you know, you, you were... I'm just sorry, there's again the background noise. Um, maybe an example of that attitude, you know, and how it plays in therapy, you were talked about something about the storytelling. Uh-huh. Do you want to talk a little bit about that to give a sense of what it's like? Well, um, I'm going to answer a slightly different question. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, that, that anecdote that we talked about regarding storyteller mind doesn't really fit so much with um, my, my train of thought okay. in this moment. Good. But um, there is a... Uh, in Zen, uh, the idea of a koan uh, as a, a question that we live inside of or we live within. Mm-hmm. And although I've not um, not really a Zen practitioner, I do find that this idea of koan is very useful in psychotherapy as providing a problem can be a kind of a koan that we live inside of and explore. Um, and this was actually the definition of uh, inquiry that I use in my book, is living in the question of something. So um, I try to help people 
to create and to find the questions that they are asking or to create questions that they can carry uh, not only in the therapeutic session but into their lives uh, as inquiry. Um, you know, in a very general sense, um, what what is the opportunity here in this problem? So that's one thing that occurs to me. And um, I recently was reminded of a little anecdote from uh, Richard Baker Roshi, who was a Zen teacher who uh, said that he was um, working on something. Um, and uh, I, don't know, I think that this was a dream, actually. Hmm. Maybe not recalling it properly, but anyway, he was... He was working on a problem and working on a problem, and then he dreamed that uh, a telephone rang, and he was annoyed by the by the interruption of the telephone ringing. And then eventually he picked up the phone, and whoever was on the other end told him the answer to the problem. But it's a kind of a, a cute uh, way of uh, thinking about uh, the value in holding a problem. We just keep uh, uh, asking the question. And it, had been, it has been my experience that when we hold questions in this very sincere and, and uh, prolonged way, that answers invariably appear. So I would say clinically, um, this is what I try to do. And there was an example that I give in my book of um, someone who was struggling with how to get her adult daughter uh, out of her home, her mm-hmm. her daughter had had launched, had gone away and worked, and then come home and was uh, just seemed to be very comfortable living in her old room and having her parents support her and so on. And the predicament was how to get an adult daughter to leave without uh, treating her as a child by making a rule. You know, you must be out by such and such a time, or I need for you to go by. Such such a time, and so this was the problem that my was struggling with, uh, which she took as kind of a koan. You know what? Mm-hmm. What is the solution to this situation? And uh, the circumstances unfolded that um, she was looking for a lost object, and uh, she went looking. In, her daughter was not at home at the time, and she went looking in the daughter's room object that she was trying to find and she didn't find it but what she found was some pot and um, so then she had another problem which is you know what should she do should she talk to the daughter about what she had found and how could she explain the fact that she was in her daughter's room uh, looking in the drawers and it really brought it brought out the entire texture of the enmeshment between the two of them and she realized, we talked about the therapy, she realized it was so uh, resonant with the relationship that she had had with her own mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about it at length, and ultimately what happened was to use this as an opportunity to have a really intimate conversation with her daughter about the predicament that she was in, how she felt about 
you know, wanting to help her daughter to unfold and grow up and how she didn't want to set rules and she wanted her daughter to move out and how she understood this from her own life experience. What what had happened, the, the whole thing that had happened by going in the room and looking and what she had found and all that came from it. So that that is really beautiful adult-to-adult opening that occurred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After that, the daughter shifted and soon thereafter she moved out and uh it was it was a really I thought a beautiful example of holding a problem as a koan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so maybe to you know I'm, I'm, I have a temptation to to tell the story back from starting backwards, okay? That in a way uh a problem feels intractable. Um yes. when a lot of stuff is compressed. Lots of things are, uh, are, you know, it's a perfect storm of a lot of things. And almost like, um, when you have a, a ball of twine that's all tight. Yeah. And you try to solve it, we try to tighten, to pull, and it only makes it tighter. And, um, the approach to this is actually to, to give it space. So that uh, it's a little bit more the possibility of disentangling, of giving it space, in such a way that then it appears in a yeah. different light, and it's possible to address it in a different way. I love that that summary. And in my book, uh, one of the metaphors, and I use this with patients quite often, those little Chinese um, straw finger puzzles, you stick your finger in them, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, as you try to pull your fingers out, the thing tightens around your fingers. Have you ever experienced that? No, no. It's a Chinese finger trap. Okay. Uh, and the only way that you can get your fingers out of this trap is to do the counterintuitive thing, mm. which is sin. So we have to find a way to, most times, to trick ourselves into uh, resisting, which is the natural inclination that everybody has with problems. Mm-hmm. When we resist, it tightens. And the opposite, as you so beautifully described, is to, to try to breathe space into it, to turn towards it, or to turn more deeply towards us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We allow those things to naturally untangle. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. so the, that's a nature of inquiry is very different from the logical inquiry that would want to solve a problem like we solve a math problem. Exactly so. It's a it's a contemplative non-solving yeah. approach to problems that that starts out from a place of, of valuing the problem as a construction as an aspect actually of the wisdom of mind mm-hmm. to form a problem because it draws attention to exactly what needs to be listened and to be um, to be uh, allowed more space. Yeah, but so as we're talking about relationality, what comes in is that as a therapist, we might feel a sense of pressure from the client saying, "Look, I have this problem, and it's really poignant, and it's really urgent, and it really needs to be dealt with." Uh, and, uh, you know, help me. Yes. With the solution. 
Yeah. And that uh, being able to respect the client's anguish, but also yeah. create a space where the focus is about inquiring as opposed to rushing to find a solution. Yes, and I'm so glad that you brought it back to the uh, to the relationship because, uh, well, for one uh, theoretical reason and then for many practical reasons, in a meditative practice, um, there there is only relationship by implication. I mean, mostly you're sitting and you're looking into your own mind. And what we, what I take from psychoanalysis that has informed my being and my book and everything in my life really is that the relationship is really the important thing when it comes to human beings. What is most important to us is the experience of one and two. And, uh, what I think what patients or clients need more than anything is really the empathic as well as the compassion uh, sharing of the pain of the predicament. That is what allows uh, space into the circumstance. And it's like the, you know, two heads are better than one. Right. Is which yeah. true. So we're talking about um, maybe the idea that not to confuse empathy with the client and the difficulty they're going through with the need to actually try to solve the problem, which is ostensibly what they demand. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. It's to empathize with the pain of the predicament. And I guess it was Kohut that said that empathy is intrinsically healing. And I actually believe that. I think that that is the ultimately uh, what what we are giving. When we are giving of ourselves, we're giving a quality of uh, standing in the other person's shoes and really appreciating both uh, what the person recognizes in their own experience and also aspects of the predicament that, and the pain of it that they may not have recognized. And we also do that by uh, our holding the whole uh our knowing of the person and our holding all of the strands of their experience in a way that allows us to function as a kind of a, really as an alter ego kind of a function relationally to, um, and also that having a problem is not a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We all have problems, but most people have a lot of judgments about the problems that they have, that they shouldn't have them or they should have already found a solution or whatever. So the relational aspect of that is just my experience of the value uh, that there is. So so maybe as as a meditator who pays attention to, you know, not just in a way trains of thought, but has the embodied experience of being present. Um, What's the embodied experience of being with somebody while at the same time, you know, dealing with the pressure and dancing with that pressure while feeling empathy? Exactly. And also, since you bring up the body, which is so important, and also helping to... Uh, redirect, uh, sometimes, um, 
the inquiry into the the felt sense of the experience, not just the intellectual construction of the experience, but the mm-hmm. the, the felt sense. Um, I guess what, one of the ways. Go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say one of the ways that my approach. Uh, I think you mentioned, I don't remember if it was on the tape or not on the tape, but uh, that one of my passions is in finding the intersection between uh, Buddhist meditation, insight meditation practice, and psychotherapy. And um, the primary difference in the psychotherapeutic application of mindfulness is that in meditation, often the instruction is to just let go the story, uh, not concern, not to be concerned with the content of stories. Um, and in meditation, that's useful because we can get so tangled up in our thinking. But uh, it, the difference I get that um, stories are just essential to human beingness. And it has always seemed to me, throwing out the baby with the bathwater, that we're going to, you know, throw out all of the richness in our narrative uh, construction of reality and say, well, it's just uh, somehow uh, ontologically or intrinsically empty, so we won't concern ourselves with it. And so bringing attention to the story and to the multiple layers of meaning that are contained within the stories that we tell. And this is a good place to come back to the question you asked earlier about storyteller mind. So there was one uh, story I tell in my book about a uh, patient whose emblematic memory in life was um, a gathering. He grew up on a farm, and it was a gathering of the extended family at the farm and as he remembered what had happened, uh, there was a chicken, a large chicken that chased him around the yard, terrorizing him while the family laughed at him. So it was also, he was being aggressed upon by this chicken, and then the family was humiliating him by laughing at his anguish. And he told this story many times in different ways. It was, you know, one of those life experiences that stood for so many aspects of his current life. And as it happened, a old home movie came to light during the time that he was in therapy, uh, in, which included this incident. And amazingly, it was not the chicken that was chasing him. It was him that was chasing the chicken. And the family was not, it was clear to him now, the family was not laughing at him. They were laughing at the situation, you know, that it was funny and amusing, but it was in a, it was a, a friendly chuckle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, it just, it seems such a good example of how a story comes into play because it serves the purposes of narrating something fundamental about our truths. And it's not uh, always historically accurate, and there is number one. And number two, there can be great value in focusing on a story and on the content of a story, which is what, as therapists, we know to do. 
but uh, it's not something that it generally is part of uh, meditation practice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's part of the, I call it a meditation adu. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're uh, a part of what we do is to look at the stories that we're made of mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, the truths that they can alert us to about our assumptions about the world. And this is an important point of entree, as you had mentioned earlier, into uh, helping people to absorb kind of by osmosis a, a broader, more existentially spacious uh, way of, of looking at their life experience. Yeah, yeah. So, in a sense, uh, we have meditation and meditation adu. And in the meditation adu, there's some material that we can handle that would not be appropriate or adequate to handle in meditation per se. But something like the storytelling uh, is something that can be handled in a contemplative way uh, in the meditation adu that then allows it to have a creative force uh, where it opens up new horizons. Beautiful, yes. I actually call the way that I work contemplative relational psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. Contemplative that's, relational psychotherapy, yeah. That's a good uh, synonym for uh, inquiring deeply is contemplative mm-hmm. relational psychotherapy or mindfulness-informed relational psychotherapy where mindfulness in, in you know, in current... Uh, the current world of psychotherapy is most often viewed as a cognitive behavioral technique. And to me, mindfulness is a natural aspect of self-reflection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Deep and uh, that's where inquiry comes, comes in. Great. This recording is part of the podcast at relationalimplicit.com then allows it to have a creative force uh, where it opens up new horizons. Beautiful, yes. I actually call the way that I work contemplative relational psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. Contemplative that's, relational psychotherapy, yeah. That's a good uh, synonym for uh, inquiring deeply is contemplative relational psychotherapy or mindfulness-informed relational psychotherapy where... Mindfulness in, in, you know, in current, uh, the current world of psychotherapy is most often viewed as a cognitive behavioral technique. And to me, mindfulness is a natural aspect of self-reflection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Deepen, and uh, that's where inquiry comes, comes in. Great. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website, relationalimplicit.com.